one. We're going to look through 1 through 16 this morning together. Acts chapter 21, 1 through 16. This is what the word of the Lord says. When we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to coast, Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and there uh, to uh, Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. And there we, the ship was to unload its cargo. And so just pause for a second. Obviously, Paul is on the move, right? He is going from place to place to place. Verse 4, it says, And having sought out the disciples, he stayed there for seven days. So he finally has a moment to just kind of catch his breath and to uh, just kind of, um, you know, rejuvenate somewhat. And it says there, And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. And I just want you to remember that. Just kind of tuck it away in a pocket of your brain somewhere because that's going to be a very important thing that we discuss today. When, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on aboard the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days... For many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands, feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns his belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we and the people were were urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Remember that thing I told you to tuck away in your brain somewhere? Well, it's, it's a continued theme. And I just want us to be paying attention to this. Because the Holy Spirit was communicating to the people, you know, up further, uh, um, up in Tyre, that uh, Paul was going to suffer in Jerusalem. If you'll remember from last week in chapter 20, Paul knew that this was going to happen, right? Because the Holy Spirit had already communicated to him that he was going to go to Jerusalem and suffer there. And so then these people hear from the Holy Spirit that he's going to do this. And then down in verse you know, 12 or 11 and 12, they hear from this prophet, uh, this prophet uh, that he's prophesying that this is going to happen. And every time when they realize that Paul is going to suffer in Jerusalem, what do they do? Paul, you can't go. You can't go. And then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded. We ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. 
After these days, we, had, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Menasson of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. So here's what I want to say. And it's just simply this, and that is suffering was Paul's preferred method of bringing glory to God. I believe that there's a whole lot of ways that we can glorify God with the way that we live and the way that we act and the way that we talk. And I think that we all have a preferred way of bringing glory to God. But this was, I believe this was Paul's preferred method. This is what he felt like he was good at. And if anything, that's what I am thinking that he is really good at because he just keeps displaying this over and over and over. And if I was to build a case for just this observation that I'm making, that is that suffering seems to be Paul's preferred method of bringing glory to God, I would probably build the case in this way. The first thing that I would say, well, I believe that that is his preferred method because it seems to be a recurring thing that goes on with Paul. It just seems like he's suffering everywhere he goes. You know, he, it, it, he, he's just jumping out of one fire and into another, out of one and into another. And it just seems like that that's almost like okay with him. And we can build this list of all the things that he's done, like going back and looking at all these places, or we could just take the shortcut and just go to the list that Paul provides us in 2 Corinthians. We've looked at it before, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But Paul lists there how much he has suffered. And so that would probably be where I would start. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says, And, and they are, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman for far greater labors, for, for, for more imprisonments, with countless beatings and even near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes last one. Most people never even lived through that, and he did it five times, right? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night and the day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, dangers of robbers, dangers from my own countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. And so that's what I would probably start with is just as I make this observation, that I think it, suffering is Paul's preferred method of bringing glory to God, I would point out just all the times that he did it. This is a crazy list, is it not? You know, the ESV, which is what I've been preaching out of for quite some time, at the beginning of the books, it gives a little, not all of them do this. In fact, the Bible I have here doesn't do this, but a lot of them will give like a a synopsis or a, 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 an outline of what the chapter is about. And in that uh, chapter, in one of my ESVs, talking about Second Corinthians, what I just read, this is what it says. Paul's opponents were undermining his work, claiming that his suffering proved he was not a true apostle. Paul responded that his suffering highlighted his dependence on Christ as it points to Christ's strength rather than his own. 
And I just want to pause for a second and think about that because most of the people then would look at all of Paul's suffering, like everywhere he goes, he suffered. Every time he goes somewhere, he gets beaten or thrown in jail or something bad happens to him. And their conclusion was, is, see, that shows that he's not a true disciple of Jesus because if he was a true disciple of Jesus, what would happen? God would just make that not happen. He would just rescue him every time from the lion's den, so to speak, uh, scenario. But this is the way that they thought. And I kind of think that sometimes we struggle with this kind of thinking as well. You know, just like in, in uh, John chapter 9, i got to try to hold my place here, but John chapter 9, we have this, this situation with a man born blind. And you know what their conclusion, the disciples' conclusions uh, to this man born blind? He says, so, so Jesus, and this is what the disciples said to him, Jesus, a rabbi, who sinned, the man or his parents, that he was born blind? Because that's just how they concluded things, Right? If, if you were born blind, it meant that he either sinned in the womb or his parents sinned, and this is why God zapped him with blindness. And this is the way they even looked at wealth. If you were wealthy, then God was blessing you. If you were poor, then God was zapping you for some reason. This is how come uh, Job in the Old Testament had all of these friends come to him and says, what have you done, Job, against God, that he has done this? He's taken all of your kids and all of your your livelihood and everything. He's just destroyed you. What have you done? You better repent. And we know that all that was nonsense. And the conclusion that Jesus told them when they asked him, you know, Rabbi, who sinned? His parents are this man. And Jesus says, it was not this man who sinned or his parents, but it is the work of God that might be displayed in him. And that's what, Je- that's what Paul believed. That I am not going through all of these beatings and, and, and uh, suffering for no reason. God is using it to bring glory into himself. I'm just his vessel of, of making him look good because I am just trusting in him and he's delivering me, you know, at least from death. Um, and so that would be probably where I would start is just all the times that Paul suffered. Then I would probably go to just the fact that this is his preferred method of bringing glory to God, not only because of all the times that he did it, but also that he never shrunk back from it. And I think that that's an important thing and something that is a little bit more than, right? I mean, not only did he go into town after town and just pick himself up and go to the next town, but he never ran from it. He never looked for a way out. He just took it. And what we already have talked about many times is that he didn't create it by being a, you know, just disrespecting people and going in and treating people, you know, mean and hateful or anything like that. He was being Jesus where he went. He loved them the way that Jesus would love them. And he told them about Jesus because that's what Jesus has given him the message to say. But they didn't like it, and so they would beat him, and he just took it. But he never shrank back from these sufferings. He just did it. And he could have. In fact, what he could have done, right, is like what most of us do, and that is just try to find a safe, peaceful place to reside and just love Jesus kind of personally and privately and just kind of keep to ourselves and not try to stir up too much. I mean, Paul could have done that. He didn't have to go from town to town and just take a licking and keep on ticking, so to speak. He could have just kind of settled in somewhere and just said, this is my ministry, this is my thing. But for whatever reason, Paul didn't. And I think it indicates that 
This was Paul's preferred method. He was okay with the suffering because he just kept on taking it. You know, last week we had two, two passages of Scripture that indicate this not shrinking. In chapter 20, verse 22, he's talking to him about, you know, why he did this, this, this. And he says here, and he says, And I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching in public or from house to house. In other words, I did it in public. I wasn't hiding or anything. You know this. I wasn't shrinking from any pressure or any threats. I just proclaimed the word of God. And again, in verse 23, or 26, he says the same thing. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And he didn't. And Paul was like a living example of what Jesus told us in John chapter 15. That is, if the, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Right? If you were of the world, the world would love you as his own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. And Paul was dealing with that firsthand. The only thing he was doing is going around just talking about Jesus and what Jesus came to do and the salvation we have in Jesus, and he was taking a beating for it. But he never shrank from it. The, probably the third thing that I would say to just build my case on the fact that it was Paul's preferred method to suffer is just that he was convinced that God wanted him to suffer. And he believed that it advanced the kingdom of God. He was convinced that it was God's idea and it was God's purpose for him to suffer and that it, and that it advanced the kingdom of God. You know, in Acts chapter 9, which is where Paul's conversion took place, right? He saw the bright light, you know it. He was persecuting Christians and killing them left and right. He just got through killing Stephen. This bright light is, came upon him and he's and he's blinded, and he's been sent to Ananias in Damascus. And, and he goes there, and Ananias doesn't want anything to do with this man because he is a persecutor of Christians. And it tells us there, and Ananias answered the Lord because the Lord was the one talking to Ananias, if you can imagine. And Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And the Lord said to him, listen to what he says. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And this is what I have highlighted. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul believed and was convinced that it was God's idea that he suffered. And why wouldn't he be convinced of that? Because God himself said that from the very beginning, that this was my idea, that he suffer, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It wasn't a payback. It was how God was going to use him in a mighty, significant, great way, right? Can anything good come out of suffering? Absolutely. In fact, I don't have this up on the big screen, but if we went back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a section there that was known or titled Paul's thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what it was, 
maybe it was because of all of the beatings that he took place. He's like struggling with eyesight. A lot of people think that. Maybe it's just that his body ached like crazy every time he tried to get up and get going. I don't know. But I know that he struggled with something and he prayed about it often. Lord, please take this from me. Please take this from me. Maybe because he wasn't able to do what he did for God easily. But eventually God answered him and he says, I'm not going to take it from you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. You see it there, right? And this is God, or Paul's response to God deciding that he's not going to take this from him. He says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because God is seen even greater and, and more magnificent and more glorious through my weaknesses. So I will just boast all the more in my weaknesses. And I believe that suffering was Paul's preferred method of bringing glory to God. I also believe that he believed that it should be ours too. You know, like, I think that he was constantly not only accepting this as this is what God has called me to do, but I think he was constantly going around and trying to help other people to accept it and receive it as well. Just like 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this, we, this one we read, like most of the time that I read this passage or hear this passage read is at a funeral, right? But it wasn't meant for the funeral. It was really meant for the living. And, but this is what it says. So we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed by, day by day. For this light momentary affliction, and it's not talking about aches and pains of growing old. But that's what we think about the most often, at least I do, right? But he's talking about the persecution, about the beatings and the, and the ridicule and just being a follower of Jesus and loving Jesus, how the world will hate upon us. He says, but just know that this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight that, of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transcendent, but the things that are unseen is eternal. And that was the perspective that he was trying to give them, is the same perspective that he has. Just hang in there, just take it, and just keep moving on, and just take it, and just realize something significant has taken place in the midst of your suffering. That's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says there, he says, Therefore... When we, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. Now, you remember what happened in Athens, because we've already walked through this. It was a tough, bad, ugly deal, right? And we sent Timothy and our brothers and, and God's co-workers in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith, to exhort you in your faith. In verse 3, it says, not that no one be moved by these afflictions, that no one be moved. In other words, that you stand your ground, you hold your place, you don't, you don't shrink back, you just take it. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Destined for what? 
to suffer for the sake of the gospel, to withstand it, to stand your ground. Verse 4, he says, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So Paul knew from the Holy Spirit that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to get clobbered. But I guess Paul reasoned like, well, I've been clobbered before. I get clobbered everywhere I go, and this is what my calling is. And so I'm not going to not go. I'm going to go. But everybody else is trying to say, Paul, you're going to get clobbered. Don't go. Let me just wrap this part of the sermon up so we can move on, and that is this. I want to say this. There are a whole lot of ways to bring glory to God, and we have our preferred ways. And for the most part, I would say that not very many of us, if any of us, ever choose our preferred way is suffering. We're looking for opportunities to suffer for Christ, right? Most of us, if we have quite a bit of money, we like to be generous. That's a preferred way to bring glory to God, and it's a great way to bring glory to God. I mean, like, to, to share what you have with another person and to build them up with what you have, your surplus, that's a great thing to do. Some of us, our preferred method, I think, is prayer, and prayer is huge. I think more gets accomplished in prayer than probably anything that we actually do physically, and there's some people that actually believe that, and so they actually spend a significant amount of time praying. I think sometimes people's preferred method is just moral purity. You know, in a world where there is hardly any purity anywhere you look, you can't turn on TV, look at a billboard, or walk down Main Street without seeing the signs of impurity. And for somebody to think, I'm going to bring glory to God by, by just being a pure person, living in an impure place, is a great way to bring glory to God, right? Or even our intellect. I mean, some people study and study and study and study, and this is how they bring glory to God, because they share what they learn with other people and help people understand and come along in their understanding. And I think that's a great way to bring glory. The point is, is that there's a whole lot of ways to bring glory to God. And we probably have our preferred method. Paul's preferred method was suffering for Jesus. And I don't think whether we should ever overlook the importance or the power of that. I just want to kind of throw that out there as understanding that that is amazing. Probably effect, as effective or more effective than most of those things that I just listed. But it's a, it's a good thing. I think Paul preferred it because it was so much like what Jesus did for us. Like he understood what Jesus suffered for us. And he wanted to suffer like Jesus, because he talks a lot about this. But in Romans chapter 5, it says this, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. In other words, there is, there's something really great and significant that takes place in the midst of our suffering. Suffering has its advantages, for sure. But we have this scenario where these people, through the Holy Spirit, are, are communicated through the Holy Spirit that Paul is going to suffer in Jerusalem. And every time that they learn that Paul is going to suffer in Jerusalem, what did they do? Don't go, Paul. Don't go do that. And then Paul says in Acts chapter 21... Verse 4, it says, And they sought out the disciples. They stayed seven days, and, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. 
And then Agnes, Agabus, came in verse 7, and he, you know, does this little demonstration of taking Paul's belt and tying his feet and his hands and says, this is what's going to happen to you, Paul, when you go. So the Spirit was delivering that, and then their conclusion was, then don't go, Paul. And Paul's conclusion to that is, why are you doing this? Why are you, why, why are you making me weep and, and you're breaking my heart? There's two conclusions I want to wrap things up with, and one of them is super simple, and that is that God wants us to be willing to risk our safety. He wants us to be willing to. Now, whether we actually will or, or not, he just wants us to all have the same attitude that that of Paul Lord, here I am, use me. Lord, I'm your vessel. You get to, he's going to anyway, right? You are the clay, he's the potter. The potter gets to decide what he does with the clay. We already know this from Romans chapter 9. But he wants us to be willing vessels, right? I'm the clay, use me how you want. And so God wants us to be willing to risk our safety, and sometimes he calls us to suffer for his glory. Do you believe that, church? Okay, well, then let's just move on. Good enough. Here's the second thing that I want us, that, that our, I want us to really zero in on, and that is because he asks us to be willing to, be, to risk our safety and sometimes calls us into suffering, those closest to us, our moms, our dads, our co-workers, our friends, our, our, you know, those closest to us will most likely try to talk you out of suffering for Jesus. They will try to, just like they are doing here with Paul. And I want to spend just a little, just like less than five minutes, but a little bit of time fleshing this out with you. Everywhere Paul went, they did not want him to go to Jerusalem. And that makes sense. Like, they cared about Paul. They weren't trying to, you know, stop the movement of Jesus. They were just like, let's just find a new way to do it. They weren't trying to fight against God. They were just like trying to protect Paul because they cared about him. And that makes sense, doesn't it? I think any time a parent is trying to talk a, a child out of doing something that they feel like God wants them to do, I think it's because that parent really cares about that child. And the intentions are good. And the Holy Spirit told them what was going to happen. But the Holy Spirit did not tell them to go stop Paul. And I think that that is something that we ought to make sure that we understand here. We know what they did. The Holy Spirit told them that this was going to happen to Paul. So then they went to stop Paul because the Holy Spirit told them that bad things were going to happen to Paul. But the Holy Spirit just told them what was going to happen. The Holy Spirit didn't say, go stop Paul. Keep him from going. Now, there's times that the Holy Spirit does that. But that's not what happens here in any of these scenarios. I run across this often, and so I thought maybe we ought to talk about it. I, I struggle with this often. And so, therefore, I thought we ought to talk about it. You know, people called to do something daring for Jesus, and well-intended people that are close to them and love them and even love God try to talk them out of doing those daring things for Jesus. 
You know, we had people in our lives, I'm just trying to think back, you know, some things, times when this happened to us or to me. But we had people try to talk us out of adopting. I'm so glad we didn't listen, right? But they did, and they were well-intended people. They people that, that love us and are close to us, but they just thought, man, this... This is just going to make things more difficult for you and your kids and, and stuff like this. And they tried to talk us out of it. Well-intended people. And we're so glad because we, we knew that the Holy Spirit was saying, do this. Whether it's tough, hard, no matter what is around the corner, no matter how this pans out, we want you to do this. And we're so glad we listened. I remember when Jesus came into my life, two months later, went to Ozark. You know the story. But, but I had so many people in my life, close people in my life, people that love me, trying to help me, redirect me, and trying to get me to not do that. I'm so glad I didn't listen. I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing and that I followed through with what I, got, what I knew God wanted me to do. You see, this is just what happens. When, when we try to talk somebody out of being risky for Jesus, even when we are well-intended, we could really mess something up that is significant because God is the one who calls. And he's wanting something to be accomplished. And so the point is, is that we must just try really hard. And it's, it is difficult, let me tell you. I had somebody call me up the, the, the other day, said, hey, there's this person that needs a ride. I think I ought to give them a ride, but I don't know because they, it's, it looks kind of funky and and anyway, I'm not going to give you all the details, but I was like, yeah, I don't think you should. And then later I was just like, that wasn't my place. My place would have been like, well, do you think the Holy Spirit wants you to do this? And if you do, then I think that I support that and I, I want to support that and I, I think you ought to do that. And I'll be praying for your safety and everything goes along with that. Do you see what I'm saying? And I just think we have to try really hard when somebody comes to us, or whether it's a, a child or a parent or a, a spouse or a friend, and they have this thing, and it's a big thing, and it's a risky thing, and it probably means suffering in some way, and, it's, and they feel like that the Holy Spirit is talking to them, I think we have to be, do the best we can to be supportive of that and not discouraging of that. I can't even think of how many people were talked out of going into missions or being a uh, in ministry of some sort, thousands, probably millions of people over the duration of time because parents are like, no, I don't want you to do that. In fact, I've heard it a lot just even within our congregation. And we just have to be careful about this. Do you remember what, what reason Paul says you're breaking my heart is because he already knew this is what God wanted to do. And, and you're just making it harder for me. But do you remember the Jesus and Peter thing? You know, Jesus is constantly telling his disciples that he's got to go and he's got to suffer and die. And I think part of that was two, twofold. I think part of it, him always constantly telling them this before he actually went and did it, was to prepare them, right? I think. But I think also because he was trying to prepare himself. He was trying to get courage up because then we, the reason I believe that is because when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he's just like, is there any other way? And he's sweating drops of blood and he's three times praying, you know, God, is there any other way for this to take place? And eventually he says, okay, let's go do it. But you know that scenario when, in interaction with Peter 
and Jesus, where he's telling them that he's going to have to go and suffer and die in Jerusalem. And Peter says this in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. He rebuked him, rebuked Jesus. Far be it for you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. In other words, I won't let it happen. You're not going to go. You, this isn't going to take place. And what did Jesus say? He says, behind me, get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me, for you do not... For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And it's just because Peter had love for Jesus. He just cared for Jesus. But he needed to understand he was not helping Jesus accomplish what Jesus, God, has called Jesus to do. And that's what Paul, I think, is struggling with here with them, too. Is They're trying to talk him out of it, and he's like, you're breaking my heart. I'm going to do this. Because God has called me to do this. So, the one thing is, is we just got to work at it. And we got to see the importance of it. And when somebody in your life is trying to do something for God, even if it's risky, don't try to talk them out of it. Here's the other thing, and I think this is even more important, probably the most important thing that I'll say this morning, that is, don't listen to them if they are trying to talk you out of it. Don't do it. You've got to be like Paul. When you know that God wants you to do something and he wants you to step out and do it, you just got to do it. And just know that you're not going to probably get the support that you think that you ought to get in order to do it. There's not going to be a whole lot of people, even the godly people in your life, that are going to say, yeah, go suffer. They're just probably not going to do it. So you just got to realize, even if you don't have people supporting you, you got to do it anyway. If God is calling you like to Haiti then you just got to go to Haiti. Even though nobody is going to say, go to Haiti. They're going to say, don't go. Don't go. There's crazy people over there. Just because everyone is telling you to not risk it doesn't let you off the hook. Paul was all by himself. And I bet it's a pretty lonely place to be. And instead of getting support, he just got people trying to discourage. Jesus was all by himself. And I bet it's a pretty lonely place to be, especially when you have this little group of people that you feed off of, and they're fighting you tooth and nail on this. Daniel was all by himself. I bet it was a pretty lonely place to be. The only one in the whole place that was willing to pray and to bow down to God instead of Nebuchadnezzar. Esther, I bet, was feeling pretty alone. I bet she could think of a zillion reasons why not to go to the king. But God was calling her to go to the king. And so she just couldn't listen to people around her. And we could talk about Noah and what about Abraham? Going to a place, how did he even convince his wife that that was okay? Or taking his son up the mountain to sacrifice him, or Joseph. I, let me just finish by just giving some practical things here, just so that this will try to sink in as much as it can. Let's just say they ask you to teach something at school, and the Holy Spirit says, I don't want you to teach that. I had somebody that was telling me about this, about a lady in California, because there's a whole lot of craziness going on out there. It always goes on out there before it gets to the Midwest. So if you want to know what's coming, just pay attention, right? 
But there's craziness, and so somebody in our area was asking this person who teaches out there, what are you going to do? Are you going to teach it? And her answer is, well, I guess so, if I want to keep my job. But see, that's not okay, not, especially not if the Holy Spirit is telling you that, no, I don't want you to. You see, even if it means that your coworkers will think you're a real jerk, even if it means that you would lose your job, even if it meant that they would probably take you to court if you taught something different, if the Holy Spirit is teaching you, telling you to do it, then I think you just have, I don't think you just have to, I think you do it. Even if you're the only one. And that's a hard place to be, right? Only teacher in the whole district that says, no, I'm not doing it. But I just think you do. And I think this goes with every job, right? There, every job has, involves ethics. You know, say they, comprom- they want you to compromise your integrity by, you know, doing this or doing that or lie or cover up something. You just, you, you don't do it. You be a Daniel. You, you, let, me, let me just say something to the young people, okay, for a moment. Peer pressure is huge. And you got, like, all of these friends that are trying to get you to do and align with what they think you ought to align with, right? And you might be the only one that is hearing from the Holy Spirit. Don't align with them. And you just got to do it. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you got to do what God has called you to do, even if that means that you'll be the outcast and all of a sudden they'll just make fun of you or reject you. See, the Holy Spirit calls you into ministry and you're 48 years old and you can think of, just like Esther, a zillion reasons why not to do it. But if you think that the Holy Spirit is calling you to do something, then you do it. If the Holy Spirit is calling you to suffer, then you suffer. And we've got to quit thinking about it as being a bad thing. Because just think of what was accomplished through Paul. Just think what was accomplished through Jesus. Think what was accomplished through Esther and Daniel and Abraham. And if he's calling you to do something and he's calling you to suffer, it's for no little thing. It's for something big. And there's somebody out there that is, needs to be rescued through your suffering. That needs to be communicated through your suffering. And you got to just see that it is, it's a big calling and a worthwhile calling. Sometimes the mission far outweighs the risk. And so Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. What mission does Jesus want you to do? That you've just been ignoring him because you've been listening to the people around you. Listen to him. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this challenge that you have challenged us with. We thank you so much that Paul was such an amazing man, a man of Jesus. He promoted Jesus everywhere he did, not just by what he said, but what what he did. And just his willingness to suffer for your sake was so powerful. Help us, Father, to to add it to our preferred way 
our list of preferred ways to bring glory to you. To not avoid it or ignore it or downplay it. Help us encourage it in others when you are talking to them. And help us not listen to others when you are talking to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.